0: Luke chapter uh, 8, we're going to read verse 40 through 56. Uh, This is another one of those stories that appears throughout the synoptics. You're going to find it in in, uh, Matthew and Mark. Um, And so because of that, there's some familiarity there. Uh, But this morning, we're going to try to do the the text justice. I'll I'll be honest with you, every once in a while, there's a passage like this that as a pastor, you've preached on out of one of those other passages. And uh, this week, I, I I had initially thought, oh, this will be a good week. To start getting ready for Uganda, and I can start outlining some things, and because I've preached on on this bleeding woman, and I'll break them up, and we'll have the bleeding woman, and then we'll talk about uh, Jairus and his daughter, and uh, and God, you know, in His providence is like, nope, I'm not going to let you find that old sermon, and uh, and, uh, and 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 in truth, it, and really spoke to me and told me why was because this morning these two had to be intertwined for us, and, and you'll see that when we get to the last point, um, but let's let's study the text. Together This morning and see what the Lord has for us. Uh, Luke chapter 8 starting in verse 40 says now when Jesus returned a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue came and he fell at Jesus feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter a girl of about 12 was dying. As as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him. Remember the context. She came up behind him in a crowd that is so dense that they are crushing him. woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. She came up behind him and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, She came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, important title, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter and John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. You know, people that don't understand the resurrection think that our faith is laughable. Yet there will come a day... That their laughter will turn to mourning, Jesus says. This is weighty stuff. But he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. It's a lot there. (laughs) We could, we, if we wanted to, we could camp out on these two stories and, and spend a month or two just talking about all that the text has. This morning, I just want to highlight three lessons I think we can learn here. And, and here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. I think it's very applicable. I want you to see this morning that the difficulties of life are often a blessing. Because they make us desperate for God. And that's a good thing. The difficulties of life are often a blessing because they make us desperate for God. And that is a good thing. I ask you a question. Have you ever read this verse? This verse right here, James 1, 2? Ever read that verse? Read the book of James? You can't start the book of James without running across this verse. And if, if you're like me, you've read this verse and you have thought, what on earth is he talking about, Right? James 1 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. That's how it starts. What? James, are you kidding me? Really? Really? That's how you're gonna start your like like that's how you're gonna start your book. This is the book you get. This is your chance, and you're gonna blow it in the first couple of sentences, right? Consider it pure joy. Are you kidding me? You want me to consider my suffering joy, right? Not just joy pure joy out of your mind that's our fleshly reaction isn't it we read that sentence and we think this guy is nuts how can james how can he write something like that how can he write a sentence that bold to start off his letter to to a church that is facing persecution how can he be so bold as to not say, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry that you're hurting. And, and I feel your pain and I, I'm praying for you. And, 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 and we're you know, I, I mean, he, he doesn't begin that. He says, consider what you're going through, pure joy. That's how he begins his letter to a suffering church. How? How do you have that kind of gumption to write that kind of sentence to people that are suffering, and and well, here's how. Because James knows that when life is difficult, when when we face trials and hardships, though those things are tough, though those things are, are hard, though those things are not fun, James knows firsthand that those things are also not all bad. Because though they're hard, and though they're difficult, and though they hurt, he knows that it's in those moments that stubborn people, well, like you and I, are more prone to turn to the one that can help. He he knows that that in those moments, we, we are more likely to turn to God, to, to rely on God, to, to run to God. They make us desperate for, for God, for the one that is, is greater than we are. They get us to a point that we come to the end of ourselves and we say, Listen, I can't handle this, God. I need help. And, and when we get to those moments and we're in the middle of that suffering, that's the only time that stubborn people ever give up and say, God, I need help. Those are the moments that make us want God, that make us want to run to the God that is always available and always sufficient. See, suffering is supposed to teach us that God's always there. That that He's always ready. That He's always willing. That He's waiting for for us to cry out. And listen, God's so good that oftentimes, friends, at the end of our days, when God lets us look back and see His hand through all things, you'll realize that there were so many things that you didn't even have to ask. And He stepped in provided because He's good. But you're also going to see so many things that you could have had. If you had just asked. We miss out. On so much of what God has made for us. Because we are stubborn. Because we try to deal with everything on our own. And guys. One of the reasons that we suffer. That we face trials. Is because those are the times. That draw us back to God. Those are the times that make us desperate for, for God. And, and that's what we have in the story, right? We have a dad. And, he, and here's this dad. And this is his only daughter. Luke's the only one that tells us that. You can read it in Mark and Matthew, and maybe you have, and you think, well, his daughter. And, and your heart goes out because like, I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old, and she's like my princess. And, and that girl yesterday, oh, my gosh, at a soccer tournament where there's like one bathroom, and, you know, it's the men's, and it's stinky, and, and here, and she's potty training, and mom's not around, and I'm like, just no matter where, we daddy, i got to go. And I was like, yes, princess, come on, all day, wrapped around my finger. She does. She's got me wrapped. I mean, she's just leading me around all day long. She's got me. Here's a father and his daughter, his princess, and she is dying. She's twelve. He's only had twelve years. He hasn't even had a chance to 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 see her grow. I mean, he's he's batted off the thought of boys at this point. But she's about to become a young woman, thirteen. So, so much of life is ahead of her. All those hopes and dreams, walking her down the aisle, handing her off to another man. I mean, all this stuff, all the things that dad's longed to do with her daughters. And, and he's he come to this point, he, he real, none of it's going to happen. None of it. And, and, he, and, he, and he's tried all the doctors. Jerry's is, is trying all the doctors. He's done all that he can. And he realized that he can't fix this problem. He is helpless. But he's not hopeless. He hears that Jesus is there. He's heard the stories. And so he comes running. I I don't imagine this is one of those moments that he casually walks up to Jesus and he bows down. I think he almost bowls him over. He hears that Jesus is here, and he comes running, and he falls at his feet. And and the English version says he pleads with him. The the word in Greek means to, to, it's almost to pull on him. It means to call to one side. He's coming, Jesus, please come with me. He's yanking him along, please come with me. My only daughter is dying. And Jesus is compassionate, and so he goes, right? He goes, he, he meets this man in his moment of desperation and he's going to go with him. And then we have this woman. She's desperate too. Now her situation is totally different. Her difficulties are totally different, but she's desperate too. For 12 years she has suffered. The young girl is 12 years old. The older woman has suffered for 12 years. For 12 years the doctors have not been able to fix her bleeding for 12 years, she has bled every single day of her life. Can you imagine the toll that that would take on your body? Just the lack of iron alone. Can you imagine how anemic this woman must be? This is there's no blood transfusions now, and, and, and it gets worse. Her situation is actually more dire than that because Mark tells us that she is poor. That she has spent every penny that she possessed trying to be cured. She spent all of her money on doctors and they have not delivered anything. In fact, Mark tells us that her situation has gotten worse. Says that she suffered a great deal under the hand of these doctors. Now guys, we're talking medieval medicine. You can probably only imagine what they did to this poor woman. She suffered a great deal, and now her condition is actually worse than it was before. This is her story. She's washed up, she is worn out, and she has no other place to turn. And so when she hears that Jesus is near, she gets desperate. Can I ask you... What's the weakest moment you've ever been in physically? Is it when you had the flu? Did you break something? What what was the, the weakest, like you ever felt? Maybe you had pneumonia. You just couldn't get across a room almost, right? I want you just to picture this. You are the weakest that you have ever felt. And healing is available. But to get to it... You've got to grow, go through a crowd, a raging crowd of people. And that's where she is. This woman that, that has no energy somehow pushes her way through a crowd that is raging and crushing against Jesus. I, I, I imagine she had to get low, people. I do. I think, she, I think she's on the ground I think she's just I think this is why she's 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 reaching she's grabbing for a hem she is desperate It's in this moment of desperation that God meets her desire Can I say that again it's in this moment of desperation that God meets her greatest desire and she is healed See friends here's the truth again God's always available and God's always sufficient So why is desperation such a gift from God? Why, why are trials and sufferings, why, why are they actually a gift from God? Because they make us desperate for the one that we need. They make us desperate for the one that's always available. See, here's the truth, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. right? This is the promise of God. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. Does God promise that we'll find him when we seek him half-heartedly? Does he promise that we'll hear from him when we think that life is fine and we're completely comfortable? Is that the promise? We hear from God when? When we seek him with everything that we are. American Christian, I would submit to you that in our culture, one of the few times that we actually do that is when we're in the middle of a trial. One of the few times that we do that is when we're suffering. Doesn't have to be, but that's why we should look at suffering as a gift from God. A gracious gift from God designed to draw us back to that promise. So if you're hurting this morning, and, and I have a feeling some of you are, one, I want to tell you, hang in there, okay? Okay? But two, I, I want to pray with you that this season would teach you how to turn to God every day, every day. When you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. Number two, I'll share this with you this morning. I want you to see this morning that the beauty of the gospel, The beauty of the gospel is the presence of Jesus in the midst of our problems. This is the good news, by the way. This is the good news that everyone missed. Everyone. Because they wanted deliverance. Everybody wanted to get out of the situation. That's what they thought the good news would be, right? I mean, the Jews were looking to get out of their situation. They, they wanted deliverance. They, they wanted dominion. They wanted to rule. They wanted to reign. And, and God says, here's the good news. I'm going to come into your situation and, and I'm going to deliver you from something far greater than the Romans. I'm going to deliver you from the bonds of sin." That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you real life, and then one day, that great dominion will come. And so, uh, I'll, I'll let you in on on what we we don't read into this text because we're not Jewish. Ready? This is the point that we miss. Uh, and and I just as, as a Jew, you would read this and you go, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh!" Right? Here's what this text is really all about for them. Jesus got his hands dirty. That's it. They would read these two stories and, and and they would they would be completely put off with this kind of messiah. They would absolutely who no there's no way that this guy can be from God because look at him, he has just got himself all dirty. They'd be completely put off by it. that's 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 not the kind of, of 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 king they would be looking towards right and that's what Jesus is doing for the, for the Jews one of the first things that would stand out is, is the fact that both these stories deal with um, situations that are extremely unclean and and dirty Jairus's daughter is dead right. Jewish ceremonial law, which they followed to a T, and, and then some, they crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's in ceremonial law. Uh, it, it, was, it was against the law ceremonial to touch a dead body or you'd be unclean. And here is Jesus, second time, remember we had the, 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 the widow of Nain and her son, and she didn't even ask for healing, and Jesus just stepped up and healed that. Woo, God is good. And, and so here we, second time, Jesus touches a dead body. And and I'm telling you, you've got to know the religious leaders are freaking out. <laughs> freaking out. I mean, one, they, they kind of know what's going to happen. They're like, oh, here it goes again, right? And kind of roll in their eyes. But two, he's touching something that's unclean. Probably won't even wash his hands before he eats now, Right? And, and that's, that's who Jesus is. And, and so, so that, there's one. And then the second, this bleeding woman. Again, ceremonial unclean. So, so 12 years of suffering, 12 years of shame, 12 years of not being able to worship God in church, according to custom. She was completely unclean. And in fact, some people would have asked her to live outside of town. Can you imagine that? No, Out. Don't touch me, don't touch me. I and mean, that's why she, this is a crowd moment. People probably, were, they're so focused on Jesus, they don't see who's actually pushing through them. This is, this, is, this is two stories about extremely unclean, extremely dirty situations. And to Jews, this would jump off the page. Their leaders, Jewish leaders, would do everything in their power to avoid such people. Their religion was a religion of avoiding the dirty of, of avoiding the unclean. That's Jewish religion. We've got to avoid all the dirty and the unclean. It's one of the reasons that they struggled with Jesus. They followed these purification laws to such a, a degree that they struggled with Jesus because Jesus came teaching that there was nothing from the outside of a man that could make him unclean. That it didn't matter what you ate, and it did not matter what you drank, and it did not matter what you touch, and it did not matter what you wore. didn't matter how high you could jump. Nothing from the outside of a man can make him unclean. It's what comes from inside of a man that comes from his heart that makes him unclean. That's what Jesus taught. And not only did he teach it, he came to do something about it. Jesus came to recapture the hearts of dead people. That's what he came to do. He came to take people who were far from God, whose hearts had been calloused by sin and had become stone. And he came to bring those dead stone hearts back to life by giving those dead people a new heart that beat for God. A heart in which what not only was alive, but actually beat for the commandments of God. That beat for the law of God. That wanted to do the things of God. That would read scripture and not say, oh my gosh, that's burdensome. But would read scripture and say, yes! That's what I long for. Yes, that's what I want. I want righteousness. I want holiness. I want closeness to God. Jesus came to do this. And you say, well, how did he come to do it? Did he, did he come to do it by picking people and removing them from their situation? Did, did he come and do it by, by calling people up into heaven where, where they could be made completely clean and then sending them back down? Absolutely not. Do you, do you remember the story of Adam and Eve? Do you remember that story? Anybody remember the story? Do you remember God ever calling Adam and Eve out of the garden? up into some ethereal heaven place to float in the clouds or whatever, or walk with him up there? Do you ever remember them like, hey, Adam and Eve, come on over to the throne room to have something? Do you ever remember that? In Genesis 3, it says that God was their God and he was their people and he was walking with them in the cool of the day. He came down to the garden to walk with them. That's where the fellowship took place. Go read Revelation. Does it say in Revelation that God's going to call everybody up into a heaven and and, and that he's going to be with them there? Does it say that in the book of Revelation? No. What does it say? Heaven is going to come down. God is going to recreate the earth. And then God is going to do what? God is going to come down and be with his people. This is the heart of the gospel. A God who who is is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-good, all-just, stepping out of all of that goodness, stepping down into humanity. That's the goal. And so Jesus is called what? Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. This is the beauty of the gospel. A God that loves you so much that he steps out of perfection and he steps into your mess. He steps out of perfection and he steps into your unclean life. This is the gospel. That's what's on display. Jesus came to dirty people in order to make them clean. And he can only make them clean in the midst of this place. In the midst of humanity. He doesn't get to clean you later. He's got to clean you now. That's why Jesus came. To get in the midst of your life. Now hear me. This is going to freak some of you out. Because in church, you've been taught uh, religiously that there are some areas that you're just supposed to never talk about. There are just some things we're supposed to keep secret, right? Now, there's not an area of your life that should be off limits to God. And, and please hear me, you people. I know you, I love you. I had this conversation with Hope once, and we were really struggling. She was not feeling well. Um, I, we were just doing our very best to try to survive. Have you ever been there? Like, every like you, I, I don't know if you've ever been. We have been in this place before. And so if I speak some truth to you, God bless you. We were literally, like, kids are like, I don't have any underwear. I don't have any. So I was going into each, like, thing and just picking out what they needed for tomorrow to wash. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, if we can do one load of laundry today, we, we, you've got enough for three days to wear. And we're going to be okay. Like, we had been in one of those moments. It had just been weeks and weeks and weeks of, of, of pain. Pain and suffering and and not doing well and so I, I I said hey you know what why don't we just sacrifice take 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 some money out of our budget why don't we just hire somebody to come over and to help out right and this is this is her response and and I think it's so funny because I've talked to many other women this is your same response she goes I could never do that I'd have to clean house first Dumbest thing I've ever heard, but but like I've heard so many women no, no, even women that actually have somebody come help take take care of the house, they pick up first. That's the stupidest thing on earth. You don't clean before somebody that comes to clean. Right? That's dumb. Listen to me. Jesus' job is to clean. His job, your job, is to submit. That's your job. Your job is to open the doors, to pull out the junk drawer. Your job is to to unlock everything that you have kept locked and let him do his work. That's the beauty of the gospel. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are where? You are right there. You are with me. You are with me. Last thing I'll share with you, and I'll be done. <clears throat> what you see this morning? That life's interruptions are often divine opportunities. So this is why you have to preach these two stories together. If you don't preach these two stories together, you don't see it. And maybe, maybe we preached it this morning and you didn't see it. Maybe we read through it and you totally missed what was going on. But I want you to see what happens to Jarius and his mission here. Right, Jarius, He he is a dad and his daughter is dying and he is desperate. He's done all that he can, and and the doctors can't fix her, and he can't do anything. So he runs to Jesus, and he falls at his feet, and he begs him. He pleads with him. He's yanking on, come with me, Jesus, come to my house. And Jesus graciously is like, yeah, I'm going to go to your house. So so Jesus is on the way to to, to fix Jairus' problem. Like, like, This is Jairus' mission, heal my daughter. And he's en route to do it. He's like, yeah, we got this. We're heading in the right direction. And then suddenly, this this woman appears, this this woman that's been bleeding for 12 years, and somehow she miraculously makes her way through the crowds, touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and everything stops. Everything. Jesus stops. Who touched me? From the woman's side, this is a good thing. How do you feel if you're Jarius? Your daughter has moments to live. Moments. How do you feel? I was here first, right? Like, I've, I've done everything that I can. Like, I've I, I tried everything my own means. I've come to Jesus. Jesus is coming. He says, why are you stopping, Lord? Why are we stopping here? Why are we camping out here? You said you were coming to, to my house. Come with me. Why are we stopping here? And Jesus just stops and he's like, who touched me? I want to know who touches me. Like, I'm sure Jerry's like, come on, you're Jesus. Surely you know who touched you. Let's go. Who touched me? I want to know who touched me. By the way, that, that whole speech, that's that's not for his sake, because he doesn't have knowledge. This is for the woman's sake, that she'll know what exactly has happened to her, what Who touched me who touched me who touched me the woman finally comes trembling she's kind of afraid she's like oh i did something i wasn't supposed to in fear she comes she falls at jesus feet she explains the whole thing and this is what he says to her he says listen your faith has healed you the word in greek is sozo means my daughter you are saved not just healed she is saved Jairus gets some bad news in the midst of this. In the midst of this, when Jesus stops to deal with this woman, his daughter dies in that moment. And he's crushed and he's about to say, don't worry about it, forget it. sure there's anger there, forget it, God. I came to you, I wanted it, forget it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you just believe, come on. And God not only heals his daughter, Eternity changes in this moment. Eternity changes in this moment. In the middle of Jairus' interruption, eternity is changed. I wonder, how do you respond when your life is interrupted? When your plans aren't going your way, do you throw a fit? Do you get angry? God, come on, God! You said... Let me, let me just encourage you with this. Maybe when God is interrupting your plans. It's because he is changing the course of eternity in the midst of fixing your situation. Life's interruptions are often divine opportunities. Opportunities that the world could change. So we've got to let go. We've got to let go of our plans. Because listen, I, I promise you this. God's plans are always better than ours. Always. God's plans, his time always better. Always better. Okay. am going to wrap up with these uh, just three application points and we'll be done. Um, if I'd looked at my notes, we'd be on time, you know, would be, but I didn't. So happy Mother's Day. Um, here we go. Application real quick. Number one, I want to challenge you um, because of this text to know uh, your need, right? Guys, we need Jesus. We need to stop acting like we don't. It's just, it's just time to do I, I would rather live a life and which, in all situations, I just, just proclaim to the world, I am an idiot, I need Jesus. Right? Like, just, just if, if we get to that point. Because here's the deal. When you're desperate for God, it's not that God changes. God is always available, and he is always sufficient. So we have to know that. We have to know that we are people in need, and we have the greatest resource available Ever unchanging sufficiency is available to us. So we need to know that we need it. You can either have God do it, or you can try to do it. I can tell you which one's going to end up better. Know your need, okay? Two, um, let the gospel work in your life. I almost put work down deep in your life, because I think that might be a better illustration, okay? Why did Jesus come? Why? To get his hands dirty. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus, this, 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 this bad theology of Christians, like, no, 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 I can't, I can't let God into that spot. That spot's too dirty for God. I've got to clean it up first. No, his job is to clean the dirtiness. That's why he stepped out of heaven, okay? You are denying the, the Savior from his mission in your life. That's what you're doing when you try to clean up the mess right? You're saying, Jesus, you made a mistake stepping out of heaven. I got this. Let, that, let the weightiness of that sit there, okay? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Two reasons. One, you're wasting your time. According to the Bible, you cannot clean yourself up. Can't do it. Absolutely cannot. Goes back to number one. You got to know your need for Jesus, okay? So stop it. You're wasting your time, okay? Two, two, I don't know about you, you've ever had somebody come clean your house? (laughs) You ever had a professional do it? Right? I mean, I don't know if you have, but you should do it one time. You ever walk into, like, some place where professionals clean? You're like, ooh, dang. You mean you're supposed to scrub baseboards? (laughs) I like them to look a little off-white, He's always going to do a better job. Don't waste your time. Let G, let the gospel work down deep. Let it work in every area. Just open up the door. Just unlock it and let Jesus do His job. Okay. And lastly, I would just uh, I challenge you with this. Just um, this is a mindset thing. Okay. Uh, this is a mindset thing. You got to change your mind. You gotta you gotta become thankful for interruptions. You got to become thankful for interruptions. Um, Guys, I, I'll be honest with you. If, you, if you'll if you think about this last little point, you're going to see something happen all week long. You're going to see how God interrupts your life on a daily basis so you can have a conversation with somebody. Right? right I'm, I'm in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. I got in the longest line in the store. And so the lady turns to me to complain about how long the line is and we get to talk about Jesus. Right? Be looking for those interruptions. And instead of shaking your fist, say, God, thank you for this moment. God, thank you for this moment. God, thank you for this moment. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you.